I won't take that. <laughs> thank you, thank you, friend. Are you guys enjoying the, the missionary biographies this summer? Yeah. Super convicting, right? I will say my one reservation about actually teaching one is that I feel like it lends itself to you sounding like a little kid describing a movie you've never seen before. You know, you might not like sharing someone's life when you don't know their life story, but I know their life story. It's like boring and overwhelming at the same time. Like when that kid is like not connecting the plot points and you're like, I think you missed a really important part of the movie, but I like, I'm not sure that I really want to know. Um, so anyway, just forgive me if it, if it gets like that. But we're going to be, I'm going to read from Luke 9, verses 23 to 24. Um, if you're lazy and you don't want to flip there, it's behind me. I'm not even going to give you that much time to get there anyway. So, <laughs> um, But you, it's a pretty familiar verse. You've probably heard it. It says, Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So tonight I have the privilege of sharing with you the life of Watchman Nee. I'm particularly excited about this one for a couple reasons. One, I think he's our first non-Western missionary we're talking about this summer, which is awesome. Not that there's anything wrong with us. He wouldn't be here without Western missionaries, but... I mean, it's really cool to not just talk about how our God loves the nations, but actually see how he loves the nations. And we can see how much he loves the people of China through the life of Watchman Nee. Um, two, he is actually the direct product, like I just said, of two of the missionaries that we've already talked about this summer. So I don't know if you remember, um, we talked about Hudson Taylor, Ryan shared about his life, and then Reese shared about C.T. Stead. They were two missionaries that went to China in the 1800s. Watch me, born in China in the early 1900s. Um, I think he was actually three years old when the Hudson Taylor passed, so he just missed seeing this incredible fruit of his labor and obedience. Over a hundred years of mission work and prayer led to the life and the mystery of this man. So that's pretty incredible. Lastly, I just think he's entirely relatable. Um, I don't know if any of you ever feel like the Lord just deals differently with you than he deals with other people. Some of us are really difficult, stubborn people, and we just require a more firm hand. Um, like, I feel like the Lord makes us wait on things that he doesn't make other people wait for. He just, like, gives it to them. And you're like, man, that'd be nice. I've been waiting on that. Um, or other people can just go on campus and, like, breathe and build a small group. And you're that person that's like, met 20 people during Welcome Week and still none of them seem like they really want to be your friend. Yeah. <laughs> I know how that feels. Uh, watch what he did too. He was one of those people that the Lord just didn't let get away with anything. Uh, nothing came easily to him and a lot of his life, maybe from the outside looking in, looked wasted or wasteful. Um, like he had missed opportunities. Um, when I told Scroggins, a little glimpse into the life of Watchmen. When I told Scroggins I was sharing about Watchmen, um, I think he said something along the lines of, oh, you mean that guy that wrote a book on listening to spiritual authority and then like really sucked at listening to his spiritual authorities? Yeah, I mean, he's cool, I guess. <laughs> like, I laughed at the time, but since I'm up here now and I have the mic, I'm going to respectfully disagree and say that I think he, having struggled with spiritual authority, was probably the best person to write that book. Um, 
he was a very self-aware person, and not in the way we talk about self-awareness, where it's like, I know my Enneagram number, therefore I have excuses for when I don't do things the way I'm supposed to do them. Um, he was humble and honest in his self-awareness, often referring to himself as a difficult person, and therefore he daily abided in Jesus because he knew how much he needed it, and therefore he was teachable. He spent his whole life learning and growing from the Holy Spirit. So I want to learn from someone like that. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll dive into the life of watching me. Jesus, thank you so much for the incredible life of this man that we get to learn from tonight. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us. Holy Spirit, would you speak and lead us here and show us what you taught watching me. Help us to be just as teachable, Lord, and to apply it the rest of the summer and this fall, God. Help us to be obedient and to let these truths shape our inner lives, God, so that our outer lives draw people to Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Watchman Nee was born to a Christian family. Actually, his grandfather was the first Chinese Christian minister in his province, which is pretty cool. Um, his mother, before having Watchman, had two daughters, and her sister-in-law had six daughters. And this was um, at a time in Chinese culture where it was extremely important that you had a son because the family name and the family reputation was everything. And so without a son, you didn't have someone to carry on that family name that everybody strove so hard to build up. Um, so it would be extremely detrimental, it could be extremely shameful to not have a boy. So Watchman's mother prayed just like Hannah prayed in the Bible. And she said, if you would just give me a son, I promise I'll dedicate him back to you, dedicate him to your service. Sure enough, less than a year later, Watchman Nee was born. Um, he resented that prayer that his mom prayed. He was an ambitious student. He had a photographic memory and just really wanted to be the most competitive, most educated person, um, succeed in a worldly sense through his education. And in his mind, to be a preacher or to be in ministry was one of the lowliest positions you could have. And he couldn't understand why his mom would want that for him, why she would want better for him. So he was estranged from his mother. This got worse when he was a teenager because she, um, he was, I believe, her only boy, and she falsely accused him of like making a mess in the house, something little. Um, but she really, really brutally, severely punished him in front of the whole family. And then when she found out he hadn't done it, she never apologized. Um, so he wanted nothing to do with his mom. And when he was 17, she invited him to a revival service at her church. He said no. Um, so she went by herself. While she was there, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. She came home on fire with a renewed passion and love for Jesus. And she began to worship at the family piano. And the Holy Spirit said to her very clearly, I do not permit you to worship me publicly until you are willing to repent publicly. Oof. Yeah, oof. She knew exactly what he meant. She got up from the piano and to the shock of the whole family went over to watch me, hugged him, crying, and apologized. And said, would you forgive me? This was something he had never seen before. In their culture, parents didn't apologize or even admit to doing anything the family structure was set up in such a way that the younger was supposed to respect the elder, and to do that, the elder could do no wrong, is what they thought. So to see his mom humble herself in that way blew his mind, 
So he went to the next revival service. And while he was there, a bunch of people got saved. He had an encounter with the Lord, but he was not saved. Um, because he realized through the example of his mom, man, I really want this. I really want this free gift of salvation. I really want to know Jesus. But like, if I say yes, then I've got to listen to the Holy Spirit, just like she did. And I don't want to do that part. So he understood that you couldn't have salvation without lordship. You can't have salvation without lordship. So for a couple days, he wrestled over this, and the Lord eventually met him with a vision in his room of Jesus with his arms outstretched on the cross. And Jesus was saying, Watchman, do you see the price that I paid for you? Won't you just come? I'm worth it. So he agreed. <laughs> Not what you do. <laughs> nah, Jesus, I'm good. <laughs> so he committed to giving his life to Jesus, and he knew in his case that that meant ministry, giving up all of his dreams, everything that he had put his effort and work into. He knew that this meant that was all going to be gone. So he went back to finish his studies, but he knew what he had committed to, so he began to make disciples in his classes, or at least try. He was wildly unsuccessful. Wildly unsuccessful. Like, he began to preach and share the gospel. People labeled him preacher boy. He lost all his friends. They started to ignore him and avoid him. And so close to a year later, he still had nothing to show for his transforming life. Um, a missionary woman at his church called him out for this. She said, Watchman, aren't you saved now? How, how many souls have you led to Jesus? And he had to hang his head and go, yeah, about that. <laughs> like, I've been trying. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. What can I do better? Like, how can I do this differently? What he didn't understand, something that we say in Kyle all the time, so if you haven't heard it yet, that's on us, um, is that God is not looking for better methods. He's looking for better men. God wasn't waiting for Watchmen to figure out the right way to do it. He was waiting for Watchmen to come to him before he went to go do the thing. You know? Um, so he was praying, just as some of us pray, for God to use him in some special way. He wanted to be useful. We make ourselves available to God. We set out to be obedient and try our hardest, and somewhere along the way, we end up working for God and not with God. We let serving God replace knowing God. And if we do that, see, the thing is, if you present someone with a three-course meal, home-cooked, incredible food, a decadent dessert, and they're not hungry, they might compliment you for it, thank you for it, they might ask you for the recipe or comment on the presentation, but they're not going to eat it because they're not hungry. Um, knowing God is what creates an impression of God on us that then creates hunger in other people for God, and that's what prepares the soil for the preaching. Watchman hadn't prepared himself, therefore he hadn't prepared the soil, therefore his preaching fell on deaf ears. So this missionary in his church told him, why don't you speak to others less and speak to God more? Stop trying to speak to other people on God's behalf and just lead them to God and he'll do the speaking. So she challenged him to build up a better devotional life, to have more abiding time. So he wrote down 70 names of students that didn't know Jesus that he wanted to see saved and he began to pray for them every day. And when I say every day, it was every day Every hour on the hour. So with 70 names, I feel like you reach the end of the list and then you just have to start over right away. That's an hour's worth of prayer right there. It was tedious. 
Praying was harder work for him than the preaching was. It was harder work, and he received no credit for it. Nobody knew that he was interceding for them. By the end of that year, 69 of the 70 students were saved. Incredible, right? So he went into the next season of his life feeling pretty good. <laughs> like, okay, I've learned my lesson. I've got this thing down now. He went into ministry and hit an immediate roadblock. Um, he was hired onto a staff at a church with six co-workers, and one of these co-workers, Leland, was five years older than him. And they agreed on absolutely nothing. So week after week, he would show up to staff meetings and they would fight. And this is what I was talking about. This is what he's known for. It's why Scroggins remembered this out of everything in his life. He had a bit of a temper, um, and they would have explosive arguments. And Watchman was so certain that this guy was just wrong. Like, he doesn't just misunderstand something like he's wrong. He's leading the ministry down a dangerous, bad path. So he would go to his missionary mentor and say, look, you've got to settle this for us. Like, please, come and intervene. And she would preach to him over and over 1 Peter 5, 5, which says, let the younger be subject to the elder. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Watchman didn't like that very much. And he would say, okay, but like, what if he's wrong, though? Like, obviously, be subject to somebody if they're right, but like, he's just wrong. Wouldn't a reasonable Christian stand up for what's right? And she said, I don't see anything in the verse that says that, Watchman. It just says, be subject to the elder. So then he tried, well, what if I had just been born five years earlier? We wouldn't even be having this conversation. And she said, cool, but you weren't. <laughs> so go back and be subject to the elder. So week after week, for a year and a half, he would go back and apologize and humble himself, and he learned to lay down his agenda. And for over a year and a half, he didn't have a voice in his group. He didn't have his coworkers' respect. He lost opportunities to serve, and he couldn't understand why the Lord had called him into ministry if he wasn't going to let him minister. Why call me into something if you're just going to have me sit on the sidelines, Lord? What a waste. Well, he finally thought that he had Leland in a corner when um, someone at the church came up and asked to be baptized, and this person was closer to Watchman, so he assumed he would be the baptizer. Leland naturally insisted he would be the baptizer. But they had just hired a new coworker that was five years older than Leland, so Watchman thought, ah, ah, be subject to the elder. <laughs> it's your turn now. So he went to his missionary advisor, and he said, okay, like now it's Leland's turn. I won't baptize him, Leland won't baptize him. We're gonna do the right thing, we're gonna set it right, it'll be this older guy. She shook her head and she said, no, Leland is still gonna be the baptizer because you still don't get the point. Mm. You still don't get the point. The Christian walk is not about simply upholding a standard of morality across the board. Anyone can follow rules, but rules are not transformative. Transformation is living with such a closeness and yieldedness to Jesus that your character begins to reflect his. So she asked him, as you're standing here in front of me accusing your brother, is your character reflecting that of Jesus? No? Then go back and do it again. And this stuck with Watchman Lee. He never came back to her with another complaint about that brother. In his own words, he said, Now I must speak a word to young co-workers. If you cannot stand the trials of the cross, you cannot become a useful instrument. It is only the spirit of a lamb that God takes delight in, the gentleness, the humility, and the peace. 
Your ambition, lofty purpose, and ability are all useless in the sight of God. I have been down this path, and I must confess my shortcomings. All that pertains to me is in the hand of God. It is not a question of right or wrong. It is a question of whether or not one is like the bearer of the cross. In the church, right and wrong have no place. All that counts is bearing the cross and accepting its breaking. This produces the overflow of God's life and accomplishes his will. Pretty incredible. And after all of that, um, it still ended in tears. After almost two years of submitting and learning to honor this other coworker, giving him weight, learning to walk in humility, the, uh, Leland, I'll just call him, yeah, he, he's earned the name. Um, he voted to um, excommunicate Watchmen from the church. This was extremely divisive. Half the staff didn't agree, and half the congregation didn't agree. And they said, if you know, if Watchman Nee leaves the church, we're leaving too. Instead of defending himself, Watchman Nee left in the middle of the night so that no one would know where he had gone and couldn't follow him, so that the church would not suffer more disunity. So after all of that, it felt like it was for nothing. Um, I could go into a lot more in his life, as you probably figured out by now. Um, there's not a dull moment. It only gets worse from here. Interestingly, he described that period of time with Leland as the most difficult time of his life, which I just find ridiculous. Because um, the next year, at age 21, he was diagnosed with tuberculosis and told he only had a couple months to live. Um, he had an encounter with an old professor at this time. Uh, he was walking with a cane at age 21. He was in a cold sweat constantly. He had lost almost all of his hearing. He was frail. He was underweight. Um, and he encountered an old teacher in the street who barely recognized him. He said, watch Is that you? What a shame. What a shame. We expected so much from your life, and you gave it up for ministry. And look at you now. What a waste. And Washman was able to walk away from that encounter and say, thank you, God, that I chose the better portion. Incredible. Um, I don't have time to go into it. He was healed. Um, after 172 days of being um, on bed rest, so he hadn't walked. Can you imagine the muscular like, atrophy? After 172 days of not walking, not dressing himself, the Lord told him, hey, Watchman, walk in faith. And he said, yep. I got it, I know, Lord, I've been praying. And he was like, no, no, literally walk by faith, like walk by faith. So he got up and he walked a few houses down to his sister in Christ's house where they were having a prayer meeting to pray for his healing. And he sat down and he said, what are we praying for? And they were like, nothing now, I guess. <laughs> we're just worshiping. Like, can you imagine how weird? Like, they'd probably at that point, 172 days, like, given up on prayer. You know how it is when you're praying for healing and you're like, we're just... Give their family peace, I guess. And like bring, you know, or you just give up on the actual healing part. And he walks into their prayer meeting. He was never fully healed, however, of the, the symptoms um, of the tuberculosis. He had a heart condition for the rest of his life that often required him to lean on the podium in a cold sweat just to finish his sermon. He left the love of his life around the time that he was diagnosed with tuberculosis. Um, he had a childhood sweetheart that he had grown up with. Their families had known each other for three generations. It was basically an arranged marriage, um, just without the marriage part. And she was not a believer. And when he got sick, she mocked Jesus in front of him, and so he let her go. 
Um, they didn't reunite until a decade later when she was saved and they finally got married, but they never had a baby. Um, he became a businessman during the Second Sino-Japanese War. Um, the, a lot of churches and missionaries were going under. They were underfunded. People were struggling with poverty because of the war. So Watchmen went into the pharmaceutical business to fund anonymously these missionaries and churches. Some of these churches were his own, and they disapproved of him participating in worldly business ventures while also being a preacher. So they excommunicated him, not knowing that he was the one funding their very ministry. Um, at the end of his life, he had the opportunity to flee China before communists take over. But he chose to stay, and shortly after was imprisoned for his faith. He was not allowed to visit his wife while she was dying, and he was not allowed to attend the funeral. He was also held illegally past his release date, um, and instead of being housed in the prison, they moved him to a labor camp where he couldn't survive the hard labor with his heart condition, and he died. Um, things never got easier for Watchman Nee. <laughs> they just didn't. There were plenty of seemingly missed opportunities and instances where we might be tempted to say that the Lord didn't deal with him fairly. Why make him surrender his wife just to give her back 10 years later? Why not just save her earlier and then even have a family and not have to suffer through tuberculosis alone? Why have him plant 33 churches throughout different provinces in China just to have him lead them in disgrace? God put a strict watch over Watchman Nee in a way that he didn't seem to do with other ministers. He was not allowed to compare himself to their success and their walks. The Lord just didn't let him. The result of all of this is that when Watchman eventually lost all those things, when he lost his life, his ministry, his health, and his freedom, he did not lose the closeness that he had with Jesus because it wasn't founded in any of those things. He understood that the boundaries that God had set for him his whole life, the things that God withheld and the things that he demanded from him were acts of the purest love, not punishment or some form of toying with him or testing him. Watchman understood that um, the Lord works in mysterious ways. I hate to use a cliche, but one of his quotes, he says, we like to be always on the go. The Lord would sometimes prefer instead to have us in prison. We think in terms of apostolic journeys, but God dares to put his greatest ambassadors in chains. Some of us are fighting and wrestling the very things that God has put us in to make us useful. We think if I can just get out of this, if the Lord will give me victory over this, I can be used and I can do great things. But the way we think of victory is um, not always biblical. The real victory is that we would become closer to Jesus and more like Jesus, that we would be so satisfied with him that we would satisfy him, we would be so satisfied with him. That if we lost our community, if we lost Chi Alpha tomorrow, if we lost our position as a small group leader, if we lost that one thing that helps us the most to walk with Jesus, we would find we didn't need it. We can still love and walk with Jesus. There's an incredible little article. I wasn't sure if I was going to read it all, but I've got time. I'm going to do it. It's by G.E. Watson. Yeah. 
It's called Others May, You Cannot, and I think it's the best way possible to sum up the life watching me. I think it'll be on the screen. It's a, it's a bit long, so, yeah, here we go. <laughs> All right. If God has called you to be really like Jesus, he will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility and put upon you such demands of obedience that you will not be able to follow other people or measure yourself by other Christians. And in many ways, he will seem to let other good people do things which he will not let you do. Other Christians and ministers who seem very religious and useful may push themselves, pull wires, and work schemes to carry out their plans, but you cannot do it. And if you attempt it, you will meet with such failure and rebuke from the Lord as to make you sorely penitent. Others may boast of themselves, of their work, of their success, of their writings, but the Holy Spirit will not allow you to do any such thing. And if you begin it, he will lead you into some deep mortification that will make you despise yourself and all your good works. Others may be allowed to succeed in making money or may have a legacy left to them, but it is likely that God will keep you poor because he wants you to have something far better than gold, namely a helpless dependence on him, that he may have the privilege of supplying your needs day by day out of an unseen treasury. The Lord may let others be honored and put forward and keep you hidden away in obscurity because he wants you to produce some choice, fragrant fruit for his coming glory, which can only be produced in the shade. He may let others be great, but keep you small. He may let others do a good work for him and get the credit for it, but he will make you work and toil on without knowing how much you are doing. And then to make your work still more precious, he may let others get the credit for the work which you have done, and thus make your reward ten times greater when Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with a jealous love and will rebuke you for little words and feelings or for wasting your time, which other Christians never seem to be distressed over. So make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign and has a right to do as he pleases with his own. He may not explain to you a thousand things which puzzle your reason in his dealings with you, but if you absolutely sell yourself to be his love slave, he will wrap you up in a jealous love and bestow upon you many blessings which come only to those who are in the inner circle. Settle it forever, then, that you are to deal directly with the Holy Spirit, and that he is to have the privilege of tying your tongue or chaining your hand or closing your eyes in ways that he does not seem to use with others. Now, when you are so possessed with the loving God that you are, in your secret heart, pleased and delighted over this peculiar, personal, private, jealous guardianship and management of the Holy Spirit over your life, you will have found the best people of heaven. So this is my I sound like I'm crying about it, I'm not crying, I'm okay. Um, I have cried over that before though, today actually, but <laughs> it's good, it's good, right? Yeah. Um, Watchman he knew that the Lord did everything that he did, not to punish him, but because he loved him. It was a privilege to have the Holy Spirit watch and guard in his life that closely. In the end, when he was in prison, and he had lost everything, he was able to do 
As Paul did, he was able to worship and continue to lead people to Christ in prison. He was able to continue to write. And watch me, one of the most brilliant thinkers, this guy with photographic memory who's going to go on and do all these highly educated things, his writings are some of the most simple, accessible Christian writings that we have today. They're not G.K. Chesterton, whom I love. They're not C.S. Lewis. They're simple. Open them up. I have a 50-page book by Watchman Nee you can fly through called Sit, Walk, Stand. And it's, it's, I, you know, it's like a college student wrote it. It's just easy to read. And he didn't care that people wouldn't know he was smart. He didn't care about any of that. He recognized that what the Lord had called him to was a deep life of abiding and listening to the Holy Spirit, and that to do that, he had to be teachable, he had to be humble, he had to be hungry. And I wonder how many of us feel like we have found that vestibule of heaven yet, feel like we are satisfied so completely with the Holy Spirit's watch and guardianship over our lives, that we don't feel like every day we have to ask the Lord to, to rescue us out of some situation. Or please, please just make it easier for me to meet one small group person, or to make one friend, or to do this one thing. The Lord knows what he's doing. There's fruit that you will bear that you won't even see, and you'll get to see it in heaven. The Lord knows what he's doing. We just have to trust him. We just have to take up our cross daily and follow him. If we desire to save our life, we will lose it. But whoever loses their sake for Jesus will find it. They will save it. So we're going to end with some worship. Um, I don't know. I wasn't really sure how to end. I don't want to tell people to come to the altar. I don't want to tell people to go, to go pray or stand and sing. You guys know what you need to do. I will say the first step back to Jesus is gratitude. So maybe tonight we can just start by being grateful for some things that we haven't been grateful for. Things that we've been asking, Lord, why do I have to deal with this and the person next to me doesn't? Maybe thank him for it. Approach him with an attitude of worship tonight. If you need to talk to someone, do it. Talk to someone, do it. If you need to come to the altar, do it. But we're not going to make it, we're not going to be sustained in the fall if we don't grasp this tonight. Others may, but we cannot. We cannot. And that's okay. It just means that the Lord really, really loves us. He really loves us. He loves watching me. Like I said, he, he planted 33 churches across the provinces of China. A lot of those churches are still around in a country where it's very, very, very difficult to walk with Jesus, and we don't have that here. The Lord's not asking anything crazy from us. Just that we would draw close, abide with him, so that our lives would create that hunger in other people. We don't have to have the gift of preaching or teaching. We don't have to have any special skill set. Just a deep abiding knowledge of who Jesus is and a willingness to listen to the Holy Spirit. That's enough. I'm going to pray and then we'll have a time.